Consecration means. So when you think about things that are consecrated, you think about if you were to get married, the relations between a husband and a wife are now consecrated for just those two people, nobody else. Because there has been a vow that has been taken. That body is only there for one use, not for public use. Before the Lord touched your heart, you were a different person. You've been set apart. And today, Pastor Daniel will explain how the way the tabernacle was set up reflects how you've been touched by the Spirit of God as a believer. There is a process in getting there, just as in the tabernacle, there was a process in going from the outside to the inside. And there is a community to support you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Tabernacle Assembly. I don't know about you guys, but I, I just, if you don't believe in the miraculous, you have to tonight. We're finishing the book of Exodus. I'm always, I always just think it's an amazing thing that we get to finish books of the Bible. I, there's some times when we're going through them that I'm like, man, we're never going to get out of this book. There's just too much in there and we're having too much fun, but all good things come to an end, I guess, at some point. So we're closing out the book of Exodus and really... Chapter 40 is the climax of the book of Exodus. Everything about the book of Exodus is about this moment. You got to realize that the book of Exodus began with the children of Israel having been enslaved in Egypt for some 400 years. And God has a chosen person who is going to be his instrument of deliverance for the children of Israel. And the book of Exodus begins with the birth of this man named Moses, who God was going to use as his instrument to see his people delivered from slavery and and ushered into this new dispensation or epoch or era of their lives. And so you guys know the story as, as Moses grows and everything that goes on with the plagues and Pharaoh, and they're finally delivered from Egypt by a mighty hand. And they end up in the wilderness and, and, and all these different things going. We've been studying it for almost a year now. It's been that long, seriously. You know, and, and then all of a sudden they get to Mount Sinai and God starts to make this covenant with his people. And he starts to explain to them, this is who I am. And because this is who I am, as you live in response to me, this is who you need to be. And I love that about the Lord. Is that the Lord doesn't say, this is who I am and just be whoever you want to be. He says, because this is who I am, I want to mold you and shape you. I want to change you. I want to make you your truest self the person that you were designed to be for my glory, that you lost along the way. And so God starts to explain to them who he is. And then ultimately God says to them, I want you to build the tabernacle. I want you to build a portable worship tent that I may dwell in your presence. Now think about that. 
God's saying, I want to be in your midst. I don't want to be a distant, far off God. I don't want to be an absentee landlord. I want to live in the apartment with you. That's what the tabernacle is about. It's about the almighty God saying, I'm not distant from you. I want to be so close. And he gives them very specific instructions. And then we, we saw the instructions laid out over the last number of weeks. We actually saw that the children of Israel were obedient to build each piece of furniture and the tent and the courtyard exactly the way God asked them to. And now in chapter 40, the culmination of this book, now that tabernacle gets erected. It gets assembled. It gets put together with some very, very exciting results. Now, we've been saying it, this entire series, Tabernacle, which this mobile worship tent ultimately gave way to the temple, which was a permanent structure that was built when Solomon was the king. But really, the tabernacle and then the temple all gives way to a new and greater temple. And that temple, of course, is God's own son, Jesus Christ. Don't ever miss that. In our love of the way God worked amongst the children of Israel, we should never hope for a temple in Jerusalem again because we have an everlasting temple whose name is Jesus Christ. And that's why John's gospel, John chapter 1, said the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. And if you look at that word in the Greek, that word dwelt is literally tabernacled among us took up a tent among us, made a pilgrimage among us. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, I love the way he characterized it, he said, and Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And not only is that true of what God did into humanity, but that is also what God is doing through his people. The body of Christ, the people of God are meant to move into the neighborhood to live and move amongst people who do not know him and be salt and light, be agents of reconciliation and shalom and peace and all these things. That's our job in our community. So this tabernacle was temporary, as was the more permanent structure of the temple. But Jesus is the temple that never fails. Remember Jesus said, destroyed this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm talking about myself. Because the true place where God meets with mankind, the true place how God dwells with his people is through the person and work of Jesus, his son. That's the gospel message. So now, Exodus chapter 40, picking up in verse 1. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. Verse four, you shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put the screen for the door 
of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court, verse 8, all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meaning and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. Verse 14. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anoint their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded. So he did. Now, notice where it begins. Again, the Lord is speaking through Moses. We, we keep bringing this up because it's an important principle that we find in the Bible is that Moses is functioning as a mediator. God is speaking to Moses and Moses is speaking to the people. And Moses, by the time we get to the book of Deuteronomy, starts talking about a prophet who's going to come up, who's going to be like him. And the people should listen to him. That prophet, of course, is Jesus. But God is using Moses as an intermediary between him and the people. So he speaks to him. He says, look, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Now, look at what it says in verse 17. It says, and it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So what that means is that at this point now in verse 40, it's been a year since Passover. So since about Exodus chapter 11 or 12 to 40, one year has passed in the life of the children of Israel. Everything that's transpired has transpired over about 360 or 65 days, whether they were using a lunar or a more Gregorian style calendar, which was probably more 360 than 365 and a quarter or a sixth or whatever it is. So this is a year of time that has passed But it's on the first day of the month, this new year that began with the Passover. Now the second year, now the tabernacle gets raised up. It gets erected. And God goes through again how he wants things arranged. And we've been seeing this. Now this is our third run through of all of these things. And so remember what he does. He says, look, first the the ark of the testimony and then the veil that separates the holy of holies from the holy place. Then all the table and the, of the showbread. And then the altar of incense. And then the golden lampstand. So those three pieces of furniture that go in the holy place. And then to the outside. So the setup begins on the inside in the holy of holies and is moving outward. Right? And so we've been seeing this over and over again. You have the outer courts with the screen that's that entrance door. You run right into the what is called the altar of sacrifice. Very first thing you see. 
Then you have that bronze laver, that second piece of furniture right in front of the tabernacle, which had the water for washing. Then you have the actual tabernacle. You have the three pieces of furniture, the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Then you have that veil, which separates the holy of holies from the holy place. And inside the holy place, you have the ark of the covenant. So it's getting erected from the deepest place, the most sacred place outward. Okay? And so he goes through all of these things. But then what's fascinating about what happens is is once you get to verse 9, notice what it says. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. Now, beginning there in verse 9, up until the end of that section, this special anointing oil, God wants them to actually anoint each piece of furniture. Now, what's fascinating about that is it's about being consecrated. That's a a biblical word. We don't really use the word anymore. It means to be set apart for a specific purpose. That's what consecration means. So, When you think about things that are consecrated, you think about if you were to get married, the relations between a husband and a wife are now consecrated for just those two people, nobody else. Because there has been a vow that has been taken. That body is only there for one use, not for public use. So this idea of consecration, and it's interesting that the consecration, the symbolic act for consecration is the anointing of oil. Now, from a biblical perspective, oil, the anointing of oil is symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. And so what this says is that when something has been anointed by the Holy Spirit, it becomes set apart for a specific usage. That consecration, it shall be holy. Which means, that word means literally to be other, to be distinct, to be set apart. And so for you and I, as, as people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, we have to realize that in trusting in Jesus, we have been anointed not with some oil, but the tangible, visible, realistic touch of the Holy Spirit. And that sets us apart. That consecrates us for the Master's use. Now, when you think about that reality, what happens for you and for I in a world that we live in is that our culture does not value being set apart. Our culture struggles because they don't realize that they're set apart for something more than just being a body. But we shouldn't fault them for that because they don't know any better. But for us, you and I, we know better. We are not just bodies. We are so much more than that. And because of our faith in Jesus, we realize that there are certain things that we used to do that we just don't do anymore because we've been set apart for a specific purpose. I say that in a room this size with hundreds of people watching on the internet and watching this later, realizing that for so many of us, we're living like we're not consecrated, but really we are consecrated. And we need to start to live in accordance with who we really are. When you've been touched by the Holy Spirit, when you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've been removed from the just plain Jane or plain Jack, just everyday people, 
just like everybody else. And you get touched so you can be set apart for the master's use. And that's a holy vocation. But most of our struggles is with identity, isn't it? We've been touched. We've been set apart. But we still, we were so molded by another way of seeing ourselves that we can't separate them out. And I believe that God wants us to see ourselves for who we really are, not for what we've been told we are. When you're told that you're just another animal, another part of the animal kingdom, then acting like an animal is just normal. But our Bibles don't call us animals. They call us image bearers of the almighty God. And when you see yourself as a living bearer of the image of the true and living God, although fatally flawed like everybody else, but now we've been touched by God, by our faith in Jesus. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And now we start to say, wait, I used to be that way. And I still might be tempted to be that way, but I've been set apart. I've been consecrated. What I used to be is not who I am. And I want to start to live like who I am, not the false self that I thought that I was. So, but each, each little piece of furniture, even the cloth was getting this oil on it. It was a symbolic gesture that this is set apart. Not, it's not just any old tent. Not my uncle Jerry's going to live in there and we're going to throw a party in there. It's not for that. It is a place to worship the almighty God. And brothers and sisters, that's who Jesus is, and that's who you and I are. Didn't the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 say, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So brothers and sisters, listen. Whatever it is that you used to do before you got touched by the Lord, but whatever it is that you're doing that does not honor Jesus, that is not your consecrated on fire the Holy Spirit self, you got to say, that's who I used to be. I'm going to live as who I am. It's so beautiful that they set all this stuff up and they start anointing it with oil, being like, we want the Spirit to touch this, to set it apart for the Master's use. And I just, as I read, I just thought to myself, Lord, this is who we are. This is who we are. We're the people who've been touched by the Spirit of God, set apart, consecrated, as holy as our Lord is holy. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize it's hard to unlearn a lifetime of identity in one day. And that's why that it's called a process of sanctification. But the best way to grow in your consecration is to do it in community. That's why when we start to struggle with our temptations, we pull ourselves out of fellowship, right? Isn't that why? Because when you're in close proximity with other people who God is working on, they'll look at you like, dude, what's going on with you? Or you gals, they wouldn't call you dude, or they shouldn't, you know? They say, sister, what's going on with you? So we don't want to, we don't want to have those questions asked, so we pull ourselves away. But really, the, the safety of community is that when you start to pull yourself away, they say, where are you going? See, God is gracious with us. And that's why as a church, I think some of you here tonight need to join groups here at Crossroads. You need to get into intimate community with other believers so that they can be a protection, a family for you to grow with, to be nurtured by. 
that when you start getting all squirrely, like we all get, they say, hey, what's up? Why are you getting all squirrely? We need that, don't we? Because unlearning a lifetime of identity built on non-consecration is not the neatest thing. But God's kids, by his grace, go through that process. What's beautiful is not only that, not only do all the different pieces of the tabernacle get anointed, but also notice the priests get anointed as well. Look at what it says in verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. I like that. Give them a shower. That's what that is. Shower those dudes. Can I get an amen? You know, they say that cleanliness is next to godliness, right? That's not in the Bible. So if you're not a showerer, please. Pretty, pretty please. Maybe that's a word. First wash them, he says. Then in 13, put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as a priest. So now these special garments that we, we saw, the design for them, we saw that they made them. Now it says, look, first wash them, then put the garments on them and anoint him that he may serve or minister to me as priest. Now notice that line. Every time we see that, I bring this up. Notice it says, who did, who did the priest minister to? To me. Our ministry as the people of God is not primarily to people, it's to the Lord. And we minister to the Lord by serving people. But you know that you're serving people and not the Lord is if someone doesn't give you the reinforcement you want from them, you stop serving them. Any of us who've had a job or been married for more than about two weeks, you know what that's like, right? You spouses really know what it's like because you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to bless my spouse and you bend over backwards. They don't even notice. And you're like, yeah, well, forget that, right? Yeah, am I the only one who's, who's responded that way? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the sinner. You guys are saints. That's right. But see, you don't serve your spouse. You serve the Lord. You minister to the Lord and your spouse gets the benefit. You don't minister to your boss or to your coworkers. You do it as unto the Lord and the people you work with get the benefit. The priests of the Lord minister to him and the people around them get served. What happens for us is that when that reality gets off, then we're like, dude, forget this. Why would I want to be a servant? They don't deserve it. But then you start to think about it. You're like, well, Jesus is the great high priest and he died for me and I didn't deserve it. But Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him, for the glory of God. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't thinking about us. He was thinking about his father. He was like, I'm doing this for you, Lord. And we all and untold multitudes have gotten that benefit. So as priests, a kingdom of priests of the most high God, don't serve people. Serve the Lord. And the Lord will have you serve people. And if they never say thank you, you're not looking for that from them because the Lord is just saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's amazing when you do those little things as unto the Lord. And the Lord just loves it. He's like, that's my kid. Look at him go. It doesn't matter if anybody notices. Because the one person who it really matters, who we're really doing it for, he sees what you do in secret. And he rewards you just because you're like, Lord, I just want to be like you. Jesus is real 
From the outside of the tabernacle to the inside, a person goes through a process. Being washed, anointed, consecrated, all these things would make a person ready to be closer to God. The same is true for us. The Father will change us as we draw nearer to Him. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how when we don't know what's coming, we can be comforted, knowing that if we're committed to living out God's will, the answers will eventually come. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Tabernacle. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.